No? Probably? Okay, well, take a guess. What is it? It's also sort of on the screen. It's like a hint. No, no, no hiding. No, that's not exactly it. But it's don't take the name of the Lord in vain. So we want to have respect for God's name. So we want to take God seriously. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 7. And it says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So Paul Dickinson has written a book called Names. And he has a hobby of collecting names and very particular, like, unusual names. So sometimes names can be sort of prophetic. Two men were executed in Florida's electric chair, were named Will Byrne and Will Frizzle. A window washer who fell to his death was named Will Drop. Joe Bunt became a baseball coach. Jeff Treadwell became a podiatrist. Dan Druff became a barber. Two police officers who became partners were named Go Forth and Catch Em. O'Neill and Prey became partners in a church equipment business. A plaster contractor was named Will Crumble, and a urologist was named P.P. Peters. So our names can sometimes be prophetic, and names have meaning, but sort of in our English culture, when we give someone a name, we don't really necessarily like think about the meaning. But names mean a lot, and the name of God means a lot. And God is very sensitive about his name. So why is God so sensitive about his name when he gives us that commandment, don't take my name in vain? One, because your name represents three different things. So number one is your reputation. That's why we say, you know, he's making a name for himself or he's got a good name or she's got a bad name, something like that. And then when we hear a name, we sort of automatically associate that name to something. Because that name has like a reputation. So if I say Adolf Hitler, we all have things coming to our mind. Like Nazi Party, Germany. We're just thinking about these all different things. The World War, different things come to mind. Elvis Presley, you know, we think of, you know, a rock star, a musician. He's got the leg thing that, you know, I can't do, but he can do his leg, you know. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Queen Elizabeth, uh, Bill Clinton. There's different names, and when we hear these names, they all have a reputation that go along with them. And the second thing that your name represents is your character. What you are cannot be separated from what your name is once they are identified together. So in the Bible, when someone changed their name, God often gave them a new name. Abram became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. Sarai became Sarah. Simon, you know, so on and so forth. Different people got different names. And the last and third thing is your authority. When a police officer stops you, you know, they say, stop in the name of the law. Or at least when you're playing cops, that's what you say. A police officer may not say that when he pulls you over. But, you know, they say, stop in the name of the law. It's not that it's the police officer's authority that stops you. It's, it's that law that, like, backs him up that stops you. 
because we don't want to go to jail for running away from the cops. So if John Smith called you while you were having dinner one day, you may pick it up or you may not. But if Donald Trump calls you, you're more likely to pick it up because the president of the United States is calling me. So let me, let me see what this is about. That'd be pretty cool, actually, you know, if he randomly called me, but that'll probably never happen. So when we misuse God's name, we're defaming his reputation, his character, and his authority because you are using his name flippantly. You're using his name just carelessly, however you want to. And so we're destroying his reputation, his character, and his authority. And there are many other ways that we use or misuse his name besides just swearing. So how do we know the name of God? How do we know what the name of God is? And it's pretty basic. We know it from God's word. We know his word or his name from his word. So in the Old Testament, God used several names to refer to himself. So let's mention the two most important ones that he used. First, he revealed his name to Moses in the Mount Horeb when he called him to deliver his people out of Egypt. He used, I am that I am, or Eya Eshur Eya in the Hebrew form. And that was the original form that was spoken to Moses. And it refers to God being eternal, self-existent, the one who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. You know, he's everywhere, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. That is who God revealed himself first to Moses. I am that I am. It is also a Hebrew idiom, meaning when you get there, I will be there. When you get there, I will be there. So God was encouraging Moses and telling him, I will always be with you. I will always be what you need me to be. And I will always be there for you. Whatever you need, I got you. So one country preacher said, I am means God ain't ever short and he ain't ever late. Another preacher said, God meant I am everything you need. And I think for me, both of those, I sort of like apply that when I hear that I am. You know, I know he ain't ever late and I know he's everything that I need. And then one other important name that God revealed himself was in the New Testament was the name uh, Yahweh, which came from four consonants, the Yod, the He, the Ve, the He, the Y-H-W-H or Y-H-V-H. And in Hebrew, this was called a tetragrammaton. To actually translate this name to English, we would probably say the eternal. That's probably the closest, like, just accurate translation we can get. Because the Hebrew language, you know, I found this out when I was trying to study and prepare to this, is a very, like, deep language, and it has... Well, I don't, I don't want to get into too much of that because I feel like I'll end up confusing you guys more than what's just on this note. So let me just stick to these notes. So the closest we can come in pronouncing the name would be Yahweh or Yah or in the English form Jehovah or Jah. And the Jews had such reverence for the name of God that they wouldn't even pronounce his name. Uh, as it was written, they would say Shem Ha Meforesh or ineffable name and would sort of substitute that whenever they were writing it. 
to say Adonai or Lord or Hashem, which means the name, when they were referencing it, when they were referring to it. But God's commandment was not against pronouncing his name. It was against misusing his name, that he didn't want his name to be misused. So in the New Testament, God accompanied the revelation of himself in flesh with a new name, a new name he gave to the people, and that name is Jesus, which includes and supersedes Yahweh and all the Old Testament names that came before it. Jesus is the redemptive name of God in the New Testament. It is the name of supreme power and authority, and it's that only name that can save us. It's that only name that forgives us of our sins, and it's the highest name that he ever revealed himself as. Jesus, in the Greek form, is Joshua, or Yeshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. So suddenly, you have this guy who is calling himself Jesus. He is calling himself that unutterable name of God, where, you know, this is just... It takes that, that whole culture, like we can't even, we're not even allowed to say this name, or so they thought, we can't even pronounce this name. But now this guy who was born, that's what he's just openly calling himself, is Yahweh, or Yeshua. But Jesus had a right to use this name because he was God. God is Jesus, Jesus is God, so he had a right to use his own name. So, that phrase, that I am, that he first revealed himself, he used it many other times in John 6:35, I am the bread of life. John 8:12, I am the light of the world. John 10:9, I am the door. John 10:11, I am the good shepherd. John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. In John 8, 28, before Abraham was, I was. When the soldiers were arresting him in John 18, Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And as soon as, they, as soon as he had said this unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Mark 16, or 14, 62, to all the high priest at his trial, Jesus said, I am and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So enraged by all this, those Jewish leaders, they wanted to rush Jesus to his death. And they brought him before Pilate and they wanted him to carry out that execution. But Pilate was powerless because when he looked at Jesus, there's nothing wrong. He, this man, there's nothing I can find wrong with him. But... In an unusual move, Pilate himself writes an inscription and he has it placed on the cross for Jesus. In John 19, beginning at verse 19, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This is the title, then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, 
what I have written, I have written. So in three different languages, in Greek, in Hebrew, in Latin, it was saying, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. To the Greeks and the Romans, this was just another sign on the cross. This was just another thing that was there. They didn't really think about it. But to many of the Jews that began to gather and they read this inscription, there's a problem that arises with this. Literally, Pilate says, what I have written, I will not change one bit. So what was the problem that was so upsetting to these uh, religious rulers? So we got to take one step back. Much of the Old Testament was written in a poetic literature, in acrostic form. And this made it easier to memorize. So if we look at Psalm 19, for ex- or 119, for example, each of the 22 sections is labeled by one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And each of the eight verses in that section starts with that letter. In the book of Lamentations, each of the chapters is a poem with a similar pattern. So you have a section, let's say section one, it starts with A, and it's something that they can remember. Section two starts with B, so on, so forth. So written over Jesus' head was Yeshua HaNazriel, the Melech HaYehudim. I probably butchered that really bad. But all the Jewish leaders could see it, and they all could read it, and they all knew what it meant. And all they could see was that acrostic form, and each letter was the Yad, the He, the Ve, the He, which was Yahweh. So it wasn't a carpenter's blood that was spilled on the cross. It wasn't just a man's blood that was spilled on the cross. This is Jesus. This is the God of gods. This is the God of our fathers that we know. This is his blood being shed. And they didn't believe that Jesus was God manifest. They didn't believe that Jesus was the one that they were worshiping. So this is why they had a problem that that unutterable name is right above Jesus. Pilate has written this thing and everyone's going to think this. So that's why they had a problem. But that was his name. God's name is Jesus, and we worship the name of Jesus. All right, so we don't want to misuse the name of God. So there's five ways that we misuse God's name. And number one is we use God's name to insult. This is probably the most common one when people use profanity or swearing to express their irritation to a certain situation or to demean someone else. So probably everyone has heard someone say it, use God's name in vain, use it in sort of an irritating way. And, you know, the U.S., Canada, we're some of the most foul-mouthed countries, nations, And we have comedians who are literally paid to make people laugh, and they say it over and over, taking God's name in vain, and people are enjoying it because they're just laughing at it because they think it's funny. But literally hundreds of times every night, people say it, and they just use it to insult, and it's just being misused. And people who swear lack emotional control and maturity. Swearing takes no intelligence at all. You can teach a three-year-old or a parrot to swear. It takes maturity and discipline to to control what you're going to say. You know, when I was little, I had some older relatives who were not the most 
best for me. And so they were like, hey, Joe, say this. So I said it, and hey, Joe, say this. And it was in front of you know, all their friends, and uh, they were all laughing. So I was like, man, I'm pretty cool making everybody laugh. And then I was thinking, well, later on I was thinking, because I didn't know what I was doing back then, but later on I was like, oh, that was bad. I shouldn't have said those things. And then there's a guy at work. Uh, he says that he cusses more because of me. And I'm like, what? I don't, I don't make you cuss. I don't cuss at all. It's not like I'm giving you ammo to use. And he's like, no, but it's because I try not to cuss around you, and I think in cussing, and so when I try not to cuss around you, it ends up coming out. And I was like, that's not my fault that you can't control yourself. So, but anyways, so like a farmer was late getting home for dinner one night, and his wife asked him, you know, did your wagon break down? You know, what took so long? And the farmer was like, no, but on the way home, I offered a ride to the minister and from that point on, the mules didn't understand one thing I said. So that's, that's pretty bad if, you know, your language is foul-mouthed and that's what people recognize you with. Or if an animal recognizes you and doesn't understand if you're not using it. All right. So the second way that we can misuse the name of God is we use God's name to indulge. This is when we excuse our actions by blaming God for them instead of taking personal responsibility. These are the people that say, I felt led of, or I didn't feel led by, you know, they use these sort of uh, sentences to describe. And these people say things like, God will let me know when he wants me to do this, or God will let me know that he doesn't want me to do that. When God's will is already spelled out in his words, and your feelings must be subject to God's word, you know, when I was probably an early teenager, 13, you know, I prayed that prayer. I was like, Jesus, speak to me. And then he actually did. He actually did. And he said, I've already spoken. And I was like, what does that mean? And then immediately, you know, I thought of the Bible and I was like, oh, I got to read my Bible. And so God's word, what he's already spoken the first place you're going to find it is in the Bible, whether God wants you to do something or God doesn't want you to do something. That's the first place to look. But anyways, so Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. Do not make a promise in my name if you do not intend to keep it. That brings disgrace on my name. So when we claim God's name or God's approval on something that is clearly not his will, we're breaking that third commandment. So here's another illustration. The Foundry United Methodist Church in Washington, D.C. became famous when the first lady, Hillary Rodham Clinton, used it to be the first family's Washington church home, boasting that they are a reconciling congregation. So Pastor J. Philip Wagman welcomes practicing homosexuals into all aspects of the church life without offering them any help in forsaking their sin. The PFLAG, or Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, an organization that promotes the acceptance of homosexual behavior, has a chapter that meets there, and the infamous Bishop of Newark, NJ, Diocese of the Episcopal Church once spoke at this and suggesting that Jesus could have been a drag queen and that the Apostle Paul 
may have been a self-loathing gay man and that the Ten Commandments are immoral because they treat women as property. So on Reconciling Sunday, banners incorporating symbols of militant homosexuality, political movements blended with crosses and doves hang in front of the altar area. So this is one attempt to co-opt God's blessings and apply it to behavior, clearly condemning in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's abuse of his name, and it's like a divine character assassination because we can read Romans chapter 1, just read that chapter, and God will talk about how he's against these things, against homosexuality and these things. But people, people just want to do what they want to do. You know, if you read it in Romans, it says that God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, that they had, he gave them over to a reprobate mind. He gave them over to a rejected mind, a corrupted mind, that they would believe something that was a lie. So that's one thing. We just got to go back to what the word says. We know it's God's will if we can read it in his word, if he says, I'm for it or I'm against it. Like, you know, pastor said before, you know, the Bible has a lot of examples of different things, you know, killings, you know, adultery, whatever. It's not necessarily, you know, this is okay. It's not necessarily condoning it, but it's giving an example. So we just got to be careful when we read it and understand the whole context of everything. So number three, we use God's name to intimidate this is when we claim God's direction for something that is of our own making. TV evangelists or dishonest evangelists will do this all the time. So in Hebrew, the third commandment says, no lifting up the name of the Lord as an endorsement, or you are not to take up the name of Yahweh your God for emptiness. So we would say no stealing the Lord's name. So how do we steal God's name? How can I steal someone's name? by applying it to places it doesn't belong. Anytime that we misrepresent God, we are taking his name in vain. We are stealing his name. And some people try to do this with their spouses or their kids. And it says, you know, like, I've prayed about this, and God wants me to do this. Or I prayed about this, and God wants us to do this. You know, or people try to use this on their pastor, and they come for, like, counseling when their mind is already made up. Hey, pastor, you know, we feel... Like, God has led us to do this. And when pastor has heard nothing, you know, if God has something for you, God will usually, he'll, he will tell pastor first. And then he'll let you know. And then when you go to pastor, he'll, be, he'll either confirm it for you or he'll say no to it. So we got to go to our pastor first. And we shouldn't be looking for pastor to endorse our decisions that we've already made if they aren't from God. But people will often do that, you know, God wants me to do this. God wants me to do that, pastor. And pastor's like, I haven't heard anything about that, you know. So he's our spiritual shepherd. He's our spiritual leader. So we just got to be obedient to him. And he says it all the time. Submission begins where disagreement starts. Something like that. So when we disagree with pastor, but we're submitted to him, you know, it may not always be what we want, but he's looking out for the best. So, stealing someone's name in our world, we would probably call that, you know, forgery. Forgery is when you use someone else's name to get what you want. And there are a lot of spiritual forgers in the world who say, God told me, God told me this, God told me that. So be careful when you're speaking 
for God. Number four, we use God's name to impress. This is when we try to prove how spiritual we are with a lot of religious jargon or cliches and insecure believers can do this a lot. But talk doesn't impress God. Lifestyle does. Talk doesn't impress God. Lifestyle does. God wants someone's life to lift him up. You know, I could say one thing and then do another thing. So they should both line up equally. So don't turn God into a cliche. We take God's name in vain when we claim to be committed to him, but we don't back it up with our lifestyles. It's just empty words. Titus chapter 1 verse 16. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are despicable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. So the last one, number five, we use God's name impulsively. This is when we use God's name without thinking or as a convenient expression of fear or anger or joy or amazement or surprise, something like that. We reduce God's name to a level of wow or far out. These are pastor's notes. I've never said far out in a casual conversation. Maybe he has, maybe y'all have, but I've never, far out, you know, I've never, never done that. So we have to use God's name seriously and not impulsively. And impulsively means without thinking. So did you know that we can even worship impulsively? This is when you take the Lord's name in vain when we're singing a song and you're just going through the motions and you're just saying it just to say it. This is taking God's name in vain. When you say his name or you pray his name and your mind is a million miles away and you're not even in the actual moment. So I think we're, we're all guilty of this where we just zone out for a minute. We're just like singing a song, going through the motions. But we got to be careful. We got to use God's name seriously. Isaiah 29, verse 13. And so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. And their worship of me amounts to nothing more than human laws learned by rot. Matthew 6, 9. When you pray, don't babble on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered only by repeating their words again and again. So here's an example. Dear Dad, I want to thank you, Dad, for the great allowance you've given me, oh, Dad. You know, when we, when we pray those prayers and we're just saying God's name over and over and over and over and over and over, you know, that doesn't mean God's going to hear us more. It doesn't mean he's going to, oh, they've said it 25 times, so-so's only said it 20. I'm going to listen to this guy. You know, it doesn't work like that. You know, we just got to talk to God directly. So when you are praying, it's okay to stop and pause for a second. God understands the silence, so don't be impulsive, but just take a minute and think about what you want to say. Be serious about what you want to say. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So, we've talked about five different ways we misuse it. Now let's talk about how we can use God's name correctly. Psalm 61, 5. 
You have given me the blessings you reserved for those who reverence your name. There are many verses in the Bible that promise, uh, you know, God's blessings on our lives if we honor him and honor his name. So the first one is reverence God's name continually. Reverence God's name continually. We must treat God's name with the utmost respect, using it carefully and lovingly and as an act of worship. Psalms 29.2, honor the wonderful name of the Lord and worship the Lord most holy and gracious. We can't just sit by and let God's name be blasphemed in what we listen to, what we watch, what we participate in. God's love demands action. You know, if we say that we love God, we got to prove it. You know, we got to walk the walk like we were saying earlier. So what does this have to do with building healthy homes? Verbal abuse is rampant in families today, but you can't truly honor the name of the Lord and be verbally abusive at the same time. You know, we got to think before we say something and not just say something to hurt someone else's feelings or because we're mad, we've had a rough day, I'm going to let this guy have it. You know, let's use God's name correctly. So, number two, represent God's name clearly. Our lifestyles can either uplift the Lord's name or we can drag it through the gutter. So our walk needs to match our talk. If you're a Christian, then you got to represent Christ and do well. This is going back to like the names thing. Uh, I was listening to a book and it said that the name Christopher means Christ bearer, you know, someone who bears up Christ. You know, so our names represent something, God's names represent something, and we want God's name to be something positive because we know it is something positive. You know, Jesus, who takes away all of our sin, there's forgiveness of sin, there's newness of life, there's all these great and wonderful things. But if we're misusing it, then we're going to change that Jesus good character into a Jesus bad character, where Jesus is a tyrant, Jesus says laws, and you can't do this, can't do that, and you can't do that. You know, we don't want God's name to be unclear. We want them to know who he really is. Many people never come to Christ is one, they've never met a Christian or they're like, hmm, it doesn't, it doesn't match up, you know. All right, number three, rely on God's name completely. So why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because we don't have any right to pray in our own merit. Our own names don't have any power, but the name of Jesus has power so when we pray something, we know that something can come to pass if it is his will and we're putting his authority behind it. Colossians 3.17, whatsoever ye do, do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Someday we will be judged for every idle word that we've spoken. And this is one of the most frightening things in the Bible because sometimes we just say things without thinking. So we got to think first. Got to think before we say. Matthew 12, 36. I promise you that on the day of judgment, everyone will have an account for every careless word they have spoken. People who swear or misuse the name of the Lord show that they have a heart problem, but people who worship with their mouth and their life show that God is truly in control. 
And then Luke 6.45, this is a verse that my mom would always quote at me. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Or, you know, she was always, if I said something mean or disrespectful, she that's in your heart. And I'm like, oh my gosh, let's take it down five notches, please. But, you know, it's true. What we, what we say, God is going to judge us by. And so we want to represent God correctly. We don't want to misuse his name. Because like we said before, you know, we could teach a child to swear because it doesn't take any maturity. But if we want to grow, we got to be mature and we got to use our speech correctly and we got to use God's name correctly. All right, so that is it for tonight. Um, a couple of announcements. Don't forget, if you haven't already, sign up for Ladies Conference, all the ladies. And January 25th, this coming Saturday at 9 a.m., is Feeding America. Uh, all the life groups are going to be there, so come be a part, help the community out. And then also, Sister Petra needs to meet with all the cleaning team. So if you're a part of the cleaning team, if you could meet with her. And then you can do your offerings and ties tonight and place them in the bowls back there. Any questions or comments or anything? I know we got out early, but that's okay. <laughs> all right, so let's all stand and we will pray and we will be dismissed. All right. So thank you, Jesus, for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to study your word and to know what it truly means to know your name. Help us each and every single day not to ever misuse your name because we want to represent you correctly and we want to be who you want us to be and shine to this dark world. Because, Jesus, we're the people that they're going to see and they're going to know you because of us. So, God, I ask that you would help us to be a correct representation of who you are, that we would show each and every person your love. God, I ask that you would protect us all as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.